0: All right, well, let's go to God's Word as we're going to begin a new series today called The End Times, How the Story of Redemption Ends. If you're new with us, you'll find a sermon note sheet inside your bulletin that will help you better follow along. I don't know if you have yet heard the news, but Jesus is coming back again. You see, the first time he came to earth as a humble servant to die on the cross for our sins, offering eternal life. To anyone who would put their faith in him. But Jesus is coming back a second time. And when he comes back this time, he's coming back in his full glory. He's gonna come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords to gather Christians to be with him forever. He's gonna judge the world. He's gonna do away with the devil once and for all. He's gonna put an end to the curse of sin and death and hell and the grave. How many are thankful for that? And he's gonna create a new heavens and a new earth where he will rule and reign with his people forever. Can I just say this off the top this morning? This is not a myth, okay? This is not a fairy tale that we're talking about. This is not wishful thinking. Ready or not, it's going to happen one day. Jesus is going to come back. I think a series like this is important for a couple of different reasons. I think the first reason this series is important is because it gives us hope. It gives us hope in a world that is rapidly deteriorating before our eyes. If you understand what the Bible has to say about the end times, you realize that the Bible says things on earth were not going to get better. They're going to get worse as we move towards the return of Christ. It's going to get more evil. It's going to get more vile. It's going to get more violent. It's going to get more chaotic as we get closer and closer to the Christ's second coming and can i just say that should not take the christian by surprise too many christians i think are running around in total despair about what's going on not only in our country but in the world and the reason why is because they don't know enough about what the bible has to say about end times see when you know what the bible has to say about all this it's not only going to help you better understand what's going on in the world but it's going to give you hope that no matter how bad it gets on this side of eternity in this world, Jesus is going to come back and straighten it all out. Yeah. And I'm going to be with him forever because yeah. I'm one of his. Yeah. And it's going to be okay. I can find peace in a world that has gone mad because I know how the story ends. Yeah. And so that for that very first reason, it's good for us to study end times because it gives us hope as we make our way through this troubled war. I think the second reason why we need to study end times is because it helps us better understand the gospel, why we need to be saved, how serious our sin is before God, why Jesus had to die on the cross, why we need to put our faith in him for salvation, why as Christians, when another Christian dies, we mourn different than the world. When you understand the end of the story and how redemption ends, your grieving is filled with hope now because you know they had Jesus in their life. You see, too many Christians have what I would call bad theology when it comes to their salvation. And one of the reasons is because they don't know how the full story of salvation ends. You have to understand the second coming of Christ is a cardinal doctrine of Christianity. Christianity. To ignore this subject would be to throw out the most important parts of God's plan for salvation. To ignore this subject would only be to know half of what Jesus is going to do to redeem us from our sins. It it would kind of like be going to a movie, and it's really good, but you don't stay for the ending. Well, I want to teach you the ending of the story. Does that sound good? Yes. Because if you only know that Jesus came to earth and died for your sins so that you could go to heaven one day, and that's great, and you need to know that, you only know half of the story. In this story, we're going to talk about how it all ends, how it all finishes up, and what it will do is it's going to help lay solid doctrine for your faith and for your life to be built upon. And I say that because I think there are too many Christians living like the world, than glorifying God, living to glorify God. Too many Christians that are now buying into a works-based gospel message that, that is not the real message of saved by faith through grace in Jesus alone. One of the reasons that is, is because they don't have a good theology of salvation because they don't know the whole story. Knowing what the Bible has to say about the end times will help you better know the gospel. Now, there's a third reason that I think it's important that we study end times, the scoffers. Everybody say the scoffers. The apostle Peter said this about how it would be in the last days right before the second coming. Look at it. Second Peter chapter three, verse three through four. Peter says in the last days, scoffers will come. You see that? scoffing and following their own evil desires they will say where is this coming he promised ever since our ancestors died everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation you know what that's saying you don't really believe this jesus coming back stuff this verse is coming true before our eyes. you might notice that our nation which has been founded on biblical principles is steadily moving away from those principles. And what's happening is secular liberal philosophies have resulted in an ever-increasing world that is hostile to biblical values. And those worldly philosophies are increasingly bleeding into the thinking of God's people. They're bleeding into the minds of people in God's church. And as a result of that, you don't hear as many sermons about the second coming as you used to i have found this to be true as a middle-aged pastor i used to be the young pastor now i'm the middle-aged pastor (laughs) i have found that an increasing number of younger ministers don't even want to talk about this subject anymore why is that i mean one of the reasons is because i think the first reason is because they've been burned by bad teaching on this subject and misguided predictions about this subject You can go on YouTube and find a bunch of people getting it wrong about the second coming. How many know that's true? So sometimes I think that's the issue. I think that one of the other reasons why a lot of younger preachers don't want to talk about this, well, is because it's just not popular in a world that scoffs about it. And did you notice why the second coming is scoffed about by the scoffers? Peter tells us, look at it, because people are wanting to follow their own sinful desires. And when you study the end times, you have to come face to face with sin and righteousness and judgment and being held accountable and being ready for Christ's return. And so if you want to live a sinful life, you don't want to be told that you're a sinner. Instead, what you do is you come up with your own version of righteousness. And the only way to do that is to try to get rid of the word of God, to ignore it, to explain it away. And that's what a lot of people do with the second coming, because it interferes with their evil desires to want to live how they want to live rather than how God wants them to live. It's my suspicion that when Peter talks about scoffers here, I think he's talking about not necessarily the world, but the people in the church that have been influenced that are now scoffing about the second coming. Listen I got news for you, Jesus is coming back. And it's going to happen just like the Bible said it's going to happen. And what I want to do is I want to teach you the end times so that you could recognize false teaching and God ungodly philosophies when they come your way. And the best way to recognize something is false is to know the truth. Amen? Amen. Knowing the truth about the end times will better help you keep the philosophies of this world from infiltrating your heart and mind. Now, all that being said... Let's dig into what the Bible has to say about the end times. You know, the second coming of Jesus is one of the most mentioned topics in your entire Bible. It's literally everywhere and stated very clearly from Genesis to Revelations. Let me give you some statistics. By the way, this morning is all introduction. So I hope you're getting that. We're going to spend a lot of time setting this up. We'll get into some different things next week. But... The Bible is full of this subject. Let me give you some statistics. In the Old Testament, there are 333 distinct prophecies regarding the coming of Christ. One-third of them have to do with his first coming. Two-thirds of them have to do with his second coming. Some of you didn't know that. The Bible actually says more about the second coming of Christ than it does the first coming of Christ. 27 of the, or 24 of the 27 New Testament books mention the second coming. There are over 300 references to the second coming in the 216 chapters of the New Testament. That's more than one time per, per chapter when you do the math. Listen to this one. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible mentions Christ's return or end times. I give all this to say this, if the Bible gives it that much attention, then I think we should too, amen? Here's how this series is going to unfold. We're going to work our way through the major events of the end times. And so understand, this is going to be a macro view of the end times. This is not going to be a micro view of the end times and so I need you to understand right up front, there's a whole lot of details about the end times that we're just not going to get to in this series. Some of you, you know this subject well, and you're like, pastor, how many weeks are you going to spend on the mark of the beast? Zero. Zero. How many weeks are you going to spend on the Antichrist? Zero. We'll talk about some of these things, but we're not going to get into the details uh, to that level. I want you to know to the big picture story in this series. Maybe we'll do another series down the road that talks about the signs of the times. That would be a fun series, but we'll, we'll, we'll stick with the big view for now. Now, let me introduce you to the big view of the end times with a timeline, and it has the major events on it. Let me go ahead and show you this. This is where we're going to go in this series. The very first thing that's going to happen to kick off these end times events is something called the rapture. How many of you have ever heard about the rapture? Some of you are new to Christianity. You're like, I've never heard about it. Here's what's going to happen. When nobody's expecting it, Jesus is the trumpet's going to sound and Jesus is going to take all those believers of his out of this world. Millions of people that know Jesus are going to disappear from this planet. They're going to be gone in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible tells us, to go be with the Lord forever. You say, well, why would Jesus do that? Because of the next event on the end times timeline. It's called the tribulation. It's a seven year period of time that is going to be distress on the earth like never before. You think things are bad now? You just wait till we learn what it's going to be like in the seven year tribulation. You don't want to be there. That's why you need to have Jesus, right? You want to be in heaven when this is happening. It's going to be hell on earth. This is where the Antichrist comes in, a one-world ruler. We're going to talk about that. So there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation. It's literally the labor of the coming of christ i mean things are going to get worse and worse and worse just like a woman that is in labor it, before the baby's born the, the the pains get worse and worse and worse jesus said that's how it's going to be in the tribulation it's going to get worse and worse and worse and at the end of that jesus is going to appear and that's when you're going to have the second coming so at the second coming, Christ returns. This is where the Battle of Armageddon happens, the famous battle that even transcends uh, the church. Even in, it's in, it's a, you hear about it even in pop culture. That's when that battle is going to happen. And that's when Jesus is then going to set up his millennial reign. And he's going to reign a thousand years on the current earth that we live on. And there's a reasons for that, and we'll talk about that in this series. After that thousand years is up, Final judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. We studied this in the book series, but this is where unbelievers are going to be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And once that's complete, you're going to have a new heavens and new earth. Jesus is going to create a new heavens and new earth. And believers are going to rule and reign with him forever free from the curse of sin. So, That's a preview of what we're going to talk about in this series. We're going to talk about the rapture in detail next week. You're going to want to be here for that. It's an interesting, interesting subject. So we'll talk about that next time. But what I want to do with the remainder of our time this morning is I want to help you understand why Christ must return again. Because when you understand the why, then you're going to be able to better understand the events on the timeline. I want to share with you seven reasons that Christ must return a second time. Now, there's more than seven reasons. In fact, at one time this week, I had 10, but I'm like, you don't want a 10-point sermon. There's already a lot of introduction here. So I boiled it down to seven reasons why Christ must come back. Here's reason number one, Christ must return, because the promise of God demands it. Number one, the promise of God demands it. You know the Old Testament is packed full of promises that point to the coming of Jesus. In fact, the, the coming of Jesus is really the the main theme of the entire Old Testament all the promises you read about in the Old Testament, all the prophecies, all the stories, all the laws, all the illustrations, all the festivals, even the history of Israel itself, you name it, every bit of it points to and finds its fulfillment in Jesus. But why is that? Because of one particular promise that God made. You see, when sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, You have to understand, it broke all of creation. It broke man's relationship with God. It broke man's relationship with man. It broke man's relationship with himself. And it even broke the physical world that we live in. It literally broke planet Earth. This is why we deal with things like earthquakes and hurricanes and all kinds of natural disasters. Nothing in this world works the way it was intended to work because of the curse of sin. So in the Garden of Eden, with all of creation broken by sin, Adam and Eve had just sinned, God in his mercy and grace makes a promise to redeem it, to bring it back from the curse of sin, to bring it back to the way it was supposed to be before sin came and ruined it all. And here's the deal. Jesus is his plan to do that. Everybody say, Jesus is the plan to do that. The very first prophetic promise about Jesus in the Old Testament is found at the beginning, right after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And so here's what's happening. There's God, Adam and Eve. God's confronting them about their sin. The devil is standing there. And the devil is just full of glee that he has helped ruin God's creation. Remember, he tempted Adam and Eve. They fell for it. Sin entered the world. He thinks he's ruined it all. And look what God says to the devil. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Now watch this. He will crush your head and you will strike his that's the very first prophecy about God's plan to save us from our sin through Jesus. And what God is telling the devil here is, you think, you've, you think you've ruined this forever, but I've got a plan to redeem it. And that plan is going to come through the seed of the woman by way of a Messiah. That's what God is promising here. And notice the two things that that God told the devil. One, he would strike the Messiah's heel, and two, the Messiah would crush his head. Now, that striking heel part of the prophecy was fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. You say, what is that? It's the cross. Do you understand? When Jesus came to this earth, the devil worked really hard to have Jesus killed, he worked really hard to see his life end. In fact, you remember, he even, he even possessed Judas to go betray Jesus to hand him over to the religious leaders. Why? Because he thought he can get rid of Jesus. He didn't realize he played right into God's hands to redeem mankind. I mean, God fooled him big time, didn't he? Yes. And on the cross, Jesus died for us. That's the striking, the heel part. But the crushing of Satan's head, the doing away with him forever, is going to happen at his second coming. Let me take you now to the last prophecy in the Old Testament that's found about Jesus. God makes this promise in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. Surely the day is coming. You say, what kind of day is coming? When Jesus comes a second time in the end times. Surely as a day is coming, and notice, this is nothing like when he came the first time. This is not the, the manger. This is not, this is not angels singing. This is way different. We're talking about a second coming. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, otherwise, for those of you that belong to me, that found salvation in my son, Jesus, look what God says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its (coughs) rays. What are we talking about when we're talking about the son of righteousness? Jesus. When Jesus appears on the horizon, he's coming with healing in his rays and he will bring complete and total healing from the curse of sin because that is not yet fully happened it's only happened partially as of right now you say well what do you mean well you see the moment we put our faith in christ we were spiritually healed from the curse of sin right We were reconciled spiritually to God. Our sins were forgiven. We get a personal relationship with God. We get to go to heaven when we die to be with God forever. But did you notice people who even put their faith in Christ still physically die? Why? Because the curse of sin still affects our physical bodies. Our spirit has been redeemed, but our bodies have yet to be redeemed. So when Jesus comes back a second time, he's going to finish the healing. You say, what do you mean? That means a new body free from the curse of sin. See, Christians who have already died in Christ are going to get a new body. They're going to be raised from the grave in a new body free from the curse of sin. And Christians who are still alive at a second coming are also going to get a new body. They're going to be transformed in the blink of an eye. In the twinkling of an eye, when God says it's time, Christians all over the world are gonna get brand new bodies, and then you won't have to deal with this body anymore. How many are looking forward to that? Telling you I'm gonna be taller than all of you all. My new body, you mark it down. You say, do you really do you really believe this? Look what the Apostle Paul said. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17, it says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. you see that? Why do they get to go first? They got six more feet more feet to go, right? <laughs> I use that joke every time, by the way, when we get the Scripture. After that, watch this, we who are still alive... And our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Paul's talking about the rapture here. We're going to talk about that more in detail next week. What I want you to understand for right now is your salvation is not complete yet. Spiritually, it's complete. You're saved. You're forgiven. You've been reconciled with God. You are going to be with him forever, but physically not yet. God promises to bring complete and total healing from the curse of sin for the Christian when it comes to our physical bodies and even the physical world that we live in. See, in the end times, Jesus is also going to create a new heavens and new earth for our new bodies to live in for all of eternity that no longer is under the curse of sin anymore. And that's going to be glorious because the Bible says there are going to be more, no more dying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow when that happens. That will happen at the end of the end times when it's complete. So what I want you to understand is the promise of God, our healing from sin demands that Christ returns. You know, and scoffers would say, is, is that really going to happen? I mean, I get it that we, we, we die and we can go to heaven if we have Jesus, but do you really believe this new body thing and being raised from the dead and the new heavens and new earth? How can we be sure that that is really going to happen? Let me tell you how we, we, we can be confident that that's going to happen. The prophecies about his first coming. Over a hundred of them, very specifically... Fulfilled, literally, down to the very least detail from the Old Testament. Literally fulfilled, the way it was written. And if it's first coming was fulfilled that way, you better believe everything the Bible says about his second coming is going to be filled the same way, fulfilled literally the same way. Think about some of the prophecies about his first coming that were fulfilled. Prophecies like like Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, that he would be born of a virgin. Micah chapter five, verse two, that he would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. Hosea chapter 11, verse one says he would be called out of Egypt. Isaiah chapter 11, verse one through five, five says he would be a descendant of King David from the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, even tells us that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a colt. That happened on Palm Sunday, didn't it? Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 through 13, even predicts that he would be betrayed. Forget this, 30 pieces of silver. You read Psalm 22, amazing details about Jesus' crucifixion. It even even predicts that, that his garments would be divided by the casting of lots. And you remember when they put Jesus on the cross? And what were the Roman soldiers doing? They were casting lots, dividing up his garments. Psalm 34 tells us that even though he would suffer, not one bone of his would be broken. If you read the New Testament, you find out that's true. Psalm 16 says he would be resurrected. I'm telling you, I can go on and on and on, over a hundred some prophecies, just like that Jesus fulfilled them, literally down to the smallest detail. And if he did that for his first coming, he's going to do that for all the prophecies about his second coming. You could be confident that it's going to happen. So the first reason Christ must return, the promise of God demands it. Redemption needs to be complete. Now, I spent the most time on that point, so we're going to move quick now. Sound good? Some of you are looking at your what saying, he ain't ever going to be done today. <laughs> Here, here's why I wanted to take the time to do this. Some of you don't realize how much this is talked about in the Bible. It is stinking. I can say that, right? It is stinking <laughs> all over the place in your Bible. Here's reason number two that Jesus must return. The teaching of Jesus demands it. You know, Jesus wasn't vague about his second coming. Many of his parables were about a second coming. In fact, in Matthew's gospel alone, two entire chapters, Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25, are devoted to the second, his second coming. And Jesus plainly stated it in many other places. Let me give you a few of the times that he did that just to give you a sampling here. Look at this, Matthew chapter 25 verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory. Remember he came as a humble servant the first time. But when he comes in his glory, in all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate the saved from the unsaved. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, talking about when he actually comes back to earth again, it says this, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Otherwise, right after the seven-year tribulation, there's going to be a sign that will appear, and that sign is the Son of Man. It's Jesus himself. That's the sign. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You say, why are people going to mourn? Because these are sinful people. They're going to realize oh, we got it wrong, and we're in trouble. You go to Acts chapter one, verse six through eleven. Let me take you here. Jesus is risen from the grave. He's with his followers. I mean, they're excited. They they can't believe their eyes. Jesus is spending time with them. And it says this in verse six, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You know what they're saying? Are you gonna set up your earthly kingdom right now? You see, before Jesus revealed it to us, the the Jews didn't know that there was gonna be a a second coming. They thought there was gonna be only one coming. But Jesus knows that there's gonna be They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. That's talking. Those are angels. Men of Galilee, he said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven. What does it say? Will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What do you mean in the same way? He went up in the clouds and he's coming back in the sky. He's coming back the same way. The teaching of Jesus demands that he comes back. I want you to understand something. If Jesus doesn't come back, then Jesus was a liar. And he's not a liar. He's faithful. And he's true. And he is going to come back at the set time that the Father has appointed. Third reason that Jesus must come back, the declaration of the New Testament demands it. It wasn't just the red letters and it just wasn't Jesus saying, I'm coming back. But do you understand the early church expected him to come back? They were so resolute in their mind that they actually thought he was going to come back in their very lifetime. Little did they know there would be thousands of years that were passed and we'd be sitting here talking about it 2,000 years later. But I want you to see this. It's all over the scriptures. The writer of Hebrews says this. Hebrews verse 9, verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear what? A A second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. James, the the half-brother of Jesus, literally became the first martyr of the gospel when the church was was expanding after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. Look what James says. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. It's gonna happen. Peter The very apostle Peter, the one that was one of Jesus' disciples, if you read, Peter has a lot to say about, about the second coming in his writings, especially in second Peter, but let me just give you a sample of that. Peter says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, who's he talking about? Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. Paul says this to a young pastor named Timothy. He writes this, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? Look at it. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior who is it? Jesus Christ. Who himself who who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I mean, the writers of scripture, I just gave you a few samples. It is all over your New Testament. In fact, I almost named this point, the testimony of the Holy Spirit demands it. Why? Because all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So understand... If Jesus doesn't come back, God's a liar. Jesus is a liar and the Holy Spirit's a liar. Jesus is coming back because God is faithful and true to his promises. It's going to happen one day. There's a fourth reason that Jesus must return. And this, is, this plays into end times and some of the timeline. And, th- and this will help you understand one of the things you saw in the timeline. That whole millennial, thousand-year reign of Christ. People look at that and go, why, why is Jesus going to go through that when he comes back to earth? And we'll study it in this series. Because here's why. Because the promises to Israel demands it. Yes. Do you understand? All throughout the Old Testament, God made promises that were specific to the national nation of Israel. Israel. In fact, all the way back to Abraham, uh, he says, Abraham, God tells Abraham, look out above here. And he marks out the boundaries of the land that he's going to give the people and the descendants that come through Abraham. And who were those descendants? The Jewish people that became the nation of Israel. Well, if you go back and read the borders of of what God said would be theirs, do you know that that has never happened in the history of the world? Oh, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen when Jesus comes back. And sets up his earthly kingdom god made promises to israel that you would have a ruler that would come through you that would set up a kingdom and he will rule forever and his kingdom will never end that hasn't happened yet it'll happen at the second coming of christ that'll happen in the millennial reign god's going to fulfill every promise that he made to israel in that period of time let me take you to the old testament for a second Uh, This is one of these prophecies that we know well, but we only know the first half of it. Uh, We read it, but we we don't really think about it much. But sometimes in the Old Testament, and this is one of the reasons why the people of Jesus' day didn't understand that it was a mystery to them that there were going to be two comings. Because when the prophets prophesied, they often looked in the distance and what God was showing them. And you know how sometimes if you stand over a valley and you look at two mountain peaks in the distance, it looks like they're side by side? But then you get up to it and realize, oh my gosh, those are not side by side. There's like a lot of space in between those two mountain peaks. A lot of times you find prophecies about Jesus' first coming and second coming all mixed together, not understanding that there's a gap of time between them. So let me just show you this. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. You know this. We talk about it every Christmas. We read it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Let's stop right there. That has already happened. That happened at Jesus' first coming. What is yet to happen? Well, look at it. And the government will be on his shoulders. I'm talking about the government of the world. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. And what's the word Forever. ever. In case you doubt this, look what it says. The zeal of the Lord almighty will accomplish this. You know what that's saying? You can take that to the bank. <laughs> Holy Spirit says, I know some of you aren't believing this, but you can take that to the bank. That's going to happen when Jesus comes back again and once again this is a lot of these promises to israel the national nation of israel are going to happen in the millennial reign by the way this is why it's so important that israel became a state in 1948 again do you understand from 70 a.d until 1948 there was no national nation of israel and israel became a nation and one day at the end of world war ii It was an absolute miracle that had to happen for end-time events to to occur. That's one of the reasons you know that we're getting really close to the return of Christ because there are things God's gonna do through the national nation of Israel in the end times after the church is raptured that that need to take place through the national nation of Israel. Okay, that's one of those details I said I wasn't gonna get into, but you get a little snippet. (laughs) So the promises to Israel demands that Christ return. Here's number five. The corruption of the world demands it. You know, sometimes people look at the world and they're like, I don't get God. Why does he allow this? And why does he do this? God, God's going to put an end to it. I mean, it, the, the story of the gospel isn't, hey, except Jesus, you can go to heaven and have your sins forgiven and the world's just going to continue forever and ever and ever like it is. That's not how the story goes. God is going to put an end to all suffering, to all pain. To all chaos one day. And he's going to come and judge the world. <clears> the <throat> Jude says. Jude the half brother of Jesus says this. The Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. To what? Judge everyone. To judge everyone. Sometimes people say why does God let people get away with things? Nobody's going to get away with anything. God is going to be completely just. Everyone will stand before God as judge." to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jesus himself said this in John chapter five. Once again, one of these places where Jesus very clearly lays this out. Jesus says, verily, truly, I tell you, otherwise that's another statement. You can take this to the bank. The time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live for the father has life in himself. And he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Now watch this. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Do you understand what Jesus said earlier in the voice? He says, I'm here now, and I have the power to raise people from the dead, and he did, didn't he? But he says, there is coming a day, right, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Remember how Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. One day, Jesus is going to shout again, and everybody's going to be raised from the grave. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. It's talking about people that found forgiveness of their sin through Jesus. Those who have done what is evil, otherwise they are still in the condemnation of their sin, will rise to be what? Condemned. Scary thought. But isn't just Christians that are going to get a new body? Everybody's going to get a new body, and everybody's going to spend eternity in that new body somewhere. And you want to spend it with Jesus, Amen. Because the alternative is to spend it with the devil and his angels in the lake of fire in a body that will be burning and never be burned up. I mean, God's not going to allow the world to continue like this forever. I many are thankful for that. We look at God and say, oh, you're so slow. It says in Peter, God's not slow. He's got a time. He's got a plan that he's unfolding. A day to God is like a thousand years is like one day to God. And he is steadily fulfilling his plan to bring salvation to the people that are going to accept Jesus. Amen. Amen. Here's reason number six, the destruction of Satan demands it. You know, the devil is a defeated foe, but he's still on the loose. Jesus already won victory on the cross. He already paid for this world by his shed blood. He owns it. (laughs) In fact, when you read Revelation chapter, uh, in the early part of Revelation, you know, we're talking about the seal and the seven seals. We're talking about the title deeds of the earth. Do you know the, who, the, the one who's, who's worthy to open it? It's Jesus. Cause he owns it yeah. because he bought it with his precious, innocent yeah. blood. Yeah. But right now the devil is still on the loose doing what he does. In fact, Jesus said he's the prince of this world. He's the God of this age, but he ain't going to be the God of the next age. Do you know why? Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to put an end to the devil for all eternity. No longer will he affect God's people. No longer will he be able to tempt. No longer will he be able to pull his schemes. It will be done and complete. You say, where does it say that? Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. We're in the end times here. Look at this. And the devil who deceived them, talking about the world, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Where the beast, that's talking about the Antichrist, and the false prophet, that was his sidekick, have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and what? Ever. And so the destruction of Satan demands it. How many are going to be thankful there's going to be no more devil to tempt you? He's going to be done once and for all when Jesus comes back. Now, that leads us to the last thing. The last reason Christ must return. The liberation of creation demands it. Remember I told you that not only is human beings affected by the curse of sin, but the world we live in is also affected by the curse of sin. Sin broke everything. Well, Jesus is going to deal with that. And creation is looking forward to it because creation has been moaning Waiting eagerly. Look at this. Paul says this in Romans chapter eight, verse 19. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know what Paul's saying? I know it's hard on earth right now, but you're going to spend a little bit of time there compared to the rest of eternity. It's going to be worth it. I know the pain's hard. I know it's difficult, but you hang on to Jesus because it's going to be worth it to spend eternity with him. Now watch this for the creation talking about physical creation. Wait in eager expectation for what? For the children of God to be revealed. Otherwise, for God's plan of salvation when it comes to to people to be complete. Why? Why is it so eager for that to be complete? It, so understand, if you could picture this, it's just a little parable in your mind. Creation's like, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Why? Because for the creation was subject to frustration. It doesn't work the way it was supposed to originally designed to work. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, watch this, that the creation itself will be, what does it say? Liberated. Liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So what the Bible literally tells us is once the final judgment happens and there are no more people left under the curse of sin, God's going to take this world and he's going to destroy it with fire and he's going to create a new world out of the ashes of it that is now free and cleansed from the curse of sin and God's people are going to spend eternity with Jesus in that new heaven and new earth forever. And there'll be no more pain, and there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more possibility of anybody falling to sin ever again. And we will praise Jesus and serve him for all of eternity. That's how the story ends. I don't know about you, but I want to be there can't wait to be there god has a plan to redeem everything even your own death if you yeah. so die before he comes back he's going to redeem it all that's his plan that's his promise and when jesus comes back that is exactly what's going to happen aren't you thankful for that all right well you survived the introduction i know it's a lot But I want to give you that macro view, because once again, we're going to go through these one by one. It's going to get a whole lot simpler. But now you know why the events on the timeline are the way they are to some degree, because there's things that God is working out in his plan that he talks about all throughout scripture. And we'll start with the rapture next week. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark when it comes to your plan of salvation, that, Lord, that you laid it out there for us that we can study and we can learn about and we can marvel about. And, Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you came and you died to make it possible that when you come again, that we will be with you for all of eternity. Lord, I pray if there are any in here that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would put their faith in you for the forgiveness of their sin, Lord, that they may be with you for all of eternity in that new heavens and new earth lord we we thank you for what you did for us we thank you for your your body that was given we thank you for your innocent blood that was shed on the cross for us that we might have eternal life with you lord we give you glory we give you praise in the precious name of jesus we all said together amen amen I'm going to ask our prayer partners if they'd go ahead and come at this time. If you have a need in your life you'd like prayer over, we want to go ahead and pray over you. Whatever it may be, if you need to give your heart to the Lord or want to know more about finding salvation in Christ, come see us. We'd love to help you with that. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Next week, we'll talk about the rapture.